Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, everyone. I'm John Elledge, and this is Skylines, the Cinematic Podcast. This is going to be one of those episodes where I'm out and about, so it's all recorded on on my phone with very high tech equipment, of a headset with a mic in it. This is this is going to be the first of a new a new series of which we're going to do at least well at least two, but we're hoping to get up to four or five, in which I go walks around London with candidates to be the Alpine City's mayor and kind of talk to them about their their plans, their campaign, what they're hoping to achieve. This is, say, the, fir- the first of a series. Today I'm, I'm out and about in, in North London with Siobhan Benita, who is the Liberal Democrat candidate. I've already been out and about in, in a different part of North, North London with, with Sean Berry, who's the Green candidate and co-leader of that party. And I'm hoping to get the others the others lined up shortly. Roy Stewart, who's very famous for his walking and kind of inspired this entire project, is running as an independent candidate. He's agreed in principle. The Conservative candidate, Sean Bailey, and uh, our, our incumbent Labour Mayor, Sadiq Khan, have so, so far proved slightly more elusive, but we live in hope. Hopefully we'll get those, those guys sorted soon. Anyway, I say this is recorded... In a fairly low tech way, and there will be a certain amount of background noise. So I just thought I should pop up and explain explain the series and apologise in advance for that. It was also recorded in early November, which was about a month before before the election, which returned Boris Johnson's Conservatives with with a massive majority. So occasionally there might be a hint of political references that sound a little bit out of date, from, like they're coming from another world. That would be why. But uh, without further ado, let's get walking. So I'm in Seven Sisters which is the London Borough of Haringey, near to Tottenham. There's a lot of development going on around here. Can't remember what was on the site I'm looking at before, but it's some very big flats going up there now. I swear it was only little low-rise. Last time I was up here, a friend, a very good friend of mine lives up here, so I'm coming here quite a lot at intervals. It's one of those bits that's quite far out of central London. We're probably, I don't know, seven, eight miles out, but has a very fast tube line in the Victoria Line. So even though we're in zone three, it's relatively easy to get into town, which is why why it's being beset by gentrification. A lot of the battles around community centres used by, by various immigrant communities or estate redevelopment have taken place very close to here. But I'm up here today to see one of the candidates to be London mayor next year, the Liberal Democrat Siobhan Benita, who I am meeting at Seven Sisters Market. It's, uh, 
first job. Let's let's see if we can find the market. So we are in a very nice cafe on Seven Sisters Road, and I'm here with Siobhan Benita, the Liberal Democrat candidate to be Mayor of London next year. Siobhan, how are you? I'm very good, very good. Really nice to be with you this morning. Thank you very much for, thank you very much for joining us. You're the, fir- you're the first of the, the candidates who's, who's actually sort of managed to get something in the diary of me, so, you know, obviously we're going to be nicer to you than everyone else. That's how this works. First up, you, you wanted to come up here to Seven Sisters. Yeah. Why, why? Why Seven Sisters? Yeah, I think I chose Seven Sisters because I came here to meet Vicky, who we might see, actually, if we go for a walk later, and she's been leading this campaign to make sure that the voices of people who live in the area, and in particular those that work in the Latin village, in the Seven Sisters market, um, are heard, because there are so many things going on around here in terms of regeneration schemes, development schemes, where the people who live and work here are just not being heard. Their voices are not being listened to. So to me, it's kind of a real example of what I'm seeing across London, actually, in different areas as well, where in our desire or in the mayor's desire or in council's desire to regenerate and develop, which is great, they're not doing it in a way that is taking the communities with them. And actually, I'm all for regeneration, but you have to do it in a way that invests in people, invests in the communities and doesn't rip them apart. And it was so sad, actually, to meet these amazing people. You know, it's obviously the real Latin American community here at the heart of Seven Sisters. They've been fighting this for years and years and years. And I just think this pattern of the most vulnerable people in London not getting heard is something that we absolutely have to address. It does feel a little bit like ground zero for gentrification in London because it's very easy to get to central London from here. It's historically quite a a poor area. And, you know, we're going to talk about the row over the market in a minute, but we're not that far from the Woodbury Down Estate. Tell us the story of the market. What's What's happening there? So in the market, again, it's part of this wider regeneration proposals here. We're actually sitting, we can see here part of, you know, this big tower block that's gone up right opposite the cafe where we're sitting now. And then there's this next phase, which would regenerate the ski, the street in which the market sits. Now, the people in the market are saying, absolutely, you need investment in, you know, in the building and everything. And it is looking quite, you know, in need of a bit of TLC. But what they're saying is there's no guarantees for them afterwards. Yes, they're being told they can come back into that market, but there's no guarantees about the rent that they might have to pay, how secure their places would be in that market afterwards. And actually what they've created in the market is such an amazingly unique hub of diversity. There are people from all over the world that come in that market. And so many of the local people there said to me, this is their home. It's like their second home. You know, in the half turn, they bring their kids there. It's a safe place for their kids to be. And all they are saying is that developers and the local council are not listening to them. And actually here in Tottenham, I think you have a history of a Labour council not listening to people, a Labour MP not listening to the people, and a Labour mayor not coming in and listening to people. And I was really shocked to hear from from Vicky and the others in the market that Sadiq hasn't been here once in his mayoralty to listen to the campaigners. I think that's just unacceptable. If we were chatting a bit before we started. It feels to me that one of the one of the issues is we kind of have no language almost for talking about a right to be in an area, a sense of ownership over an area that isn't intimately tied up with literally owning the site. And so, you know, the, the decline in social housing and so on, people can be sort of pushed out if they can't afford it anymore. And because this is quite close to central London, 
and yeah, it's quite quick on the tube and so on. Yeah. There's a great opportunity to, to build posh flats here that are, you know, 15 minutes from Oxford Circus. How can we counter that? Like, what can we do to actually kind of give people the right to, to remain in an area if they do not literally own the land? I think that's a really, really good question. I guess the only answer I can have to that is if we put profit above all else and we don't value that sense of place more, we are going to lose what makes London amazing. We talk about, everybody talks about London's diversity and its brilliant communities, you know, and I've been saying as I go round, we speak more languages in London than any city in the world. We really champion kind of difference and diversity and we embrace immigration, or some of us do. I would, I would like to think more of us do. But actually, if we allow people to get bulldozed out by developers that are just after profit and not after building those communities or investing in the communities that were already here, we will lose that amazing character of London and is that what we really want so I think it's a false economy as well because looking forward you are going to end up with London where every borough looks exactly the same where every borough is completely unaffordable to normal people actually the city will stop functioning at that point because you need everybody mucking in to make this amazing city work so I think we have to come up with some way of valuing as you say place to me this is really personal my mum came to London from India and my mum happened to come to a, a part of London, southwest London, where she found a little community, Anglo-Indian community, where everybody else in, in that area looked after them and did give them a sense of place and let them put down roots. And, you know, she went on to meet my dad and, you know, and we've had an amazing kind of uh, life now. I wouldn't live anybody, anywhere else in the world at all. If we don't value that kind of thing... Like I say, we're going to lose what makes London brilliant, and I just don't want to see that happen. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yeah. 
we've left the cafe because they were playing Hard Day's Night and they got <laughs> genuinely terrified we were going to get sued for copyright infringement. So we're now, we're now standing on the street outside, outside Seven Sisters Market. Just before we go into the market, I'd like to talk about the history a little bit. You're, you're the Liberal Democrat candidate now. You're dressed in, in Lib Dem colours with a sort of, uh, you know, sort of orangey yellow gold. jumper. Gold, gold, gold. We're going with gold. gold. Okay, so a gold. Is that a jacket? What are we calling it? Because there's a coat on top. I'm confused. It's a jacket. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's a jacket. There's a gold jacket and there's, no, there's a yellowy orange. I'm today, John. You're very, you're very on brand. Yeah, I'm not bland at all. You're not bland. I'm not bland, I'm on brand. Yeah. But you have run for mayor before and in, in 2012 when you ran as an independent. I did. And as I understand it, you left your job in the civil service to do that. And you didn't, you didn't do badly. You came no. fifth, not that far behind the then Lib Dem candidate yeah. Brian Paddock. You got about 79,000 votes, I think. Yeah, something like that. I'm nearly uh, over a quarter of a million second place votes. So which is, yeah, which good. is pretty good going. What made you, what made you do that? Like, why did you give up a successful civil service career to sort of run as an independent candidate to be mayor? There are, there are so many reasons I could spend like half an hour talking about this. But in short, I think having spent 16 years at the heart of government, I could already see then what a lot of people are talking about now, which was our two main parties becoming increasingly dysfunctional. And already then, I think they were starting to be pulled to their extremes at that point. And I thought we could do better than that. I have two daughters myself. And so part of me was also thinking, actually, while I tell my daughters that women can do anything, when you look around in every sector, that's still not the case in this country. It's still very male-dominated at the top of most of our sectors. So when the three parties, the Lib Dems, Labour and Conservatives, announced their candidates for the 2012 election, it was the same three men who had stood before. And I thought, my God, in a city of, you know, nine million people, surely we can do better than that. And I think... The one thing I've learned throughout my career is you absolutely need diversity of opinion, a voice, of background in a room to make the best possible decisions. So we definitely need people with different backgrounds like me coming forward into public life. Now more than ever, that's even more true today, more than ever, that we need different voices coming into public life. And also I'd been in the civil service when they were looking at other metro mayors, you know, around the country. So I understood the kind of thinking behind metro mayors and that they didn't necessarily need to be party political. So that was one of the things at the time I was thinking, actually, these roles were created to allow different people to come forward. So I had the background, I had the experience. I know how central government works. And I just thought it's time for women like me to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Out of interest, was there a moment where you thought you could win that? Or was it more about sort of like just sort of making a stand? It's funny because I thought I could do really well, um, and I did. And I think it's because nobody had any expectations of an independent candidate with no party machine at the time. I think what I identify, which is what I say now, is this desire for a different type of politics. And maybe I was just a few years too early then. And I, you know, and actually the Electoral Commission afterwards, for example, I was up against rules that didn't really allow an independent to have a very big platform in that campaign. And afterwards, the Electoral Commission did write to me and say, yeah, you were right, you know, you you weren't allowed a party political broadcast because they weren't expecting an independent without a party to be in that campaign. So I think it was that seed of a moment where I could already see that people wanted something else. They wanted something different. And I still think people now are looking for a very different type of politics and I think that's what we now offer so I'm very pleased to be running as a Liberal Democrat candidate this time. Well that's going to be my next question is like what what brought your Damascene conversion to the uh, to the orange yellow cause? 
Well, it'd be no, no surprise, I think, to hear Brexit was kind of the, the last straw for me. So on the morning of the EU referendum result, within 20 minutes of getting up, I uh, went online and I joined the Lib Dems. And actually, um, it's not such an unusual thing. You know, anybody that knows me, when I ran in the mayoral election in 2012 as an independent, my manifesto was very similar to the, the Liberal Democrat manifesto. I've always been a liberal. And actually, I think, you know, my husband's French. It's become very personal from that respect in terms of how EU citizens have been treated throughout this whole process as well. Um, and I just think now, more than ever before, people who are socially liberal who want to fight for a different type of future for our country need to come together and work together and it's not just about the eu anymore brexit is not just about that it's about fighting for an inclusive future it's about not letting all those old old kind of fights that i thought we'd won already you know that we've had these old battles about you know the benefits of immigration about standing up to discrimination about making sure that everybody has uh, can fulfill their potential about championing a global international outlook i thought we'd kind of gone past all of those conversations that's what we're fighting for now and the liberal democrats are the only party that's being really clear on that type of future so i'm really proud to be a liberal democrat now should we go and look at the market then yeah let's have a look come on would you like to just tell us what the market sort of represents the community? Well, the market represents a home for a Latin American community, right? And it's not only it's not only about the businesses as individuals, as a whole for the whole community. Like I always say that this building is the body and the community is the soul. So we have to live together and coexist together. And it just represents everything for the community. As you can see, a lot of people here today. It's Friday and it's in the afternoon, it's gonna be packed with people. And then uh, when it's half term, all the mothers come here with the kids and the kids can play around and everything. And it's an important place. And uh, and then it's because the community doesn't have any other place to be. So even though our businesses, we, we don't treat it as, as like a hub for a community to meet, you know, to come and meet and to have a coffee and, it serves, it has got so many purposes. It, it, it adapts and evolves in the ways that only we understand and the Latin American community understand about it. That was Vicky, the lady who's running the campaign to, to save the Seven Sisters market. Siobhan, tell us, tell us about the place we're sat right now. What are we looking at? Yeah, so here we are in the corner of this market. As you can hear, it's bustling around and actually it will get even busier here on a Friday afternoon. We're sat by one of the little food places here, amazing cakes and everything, which I know you're not having because you're not eating carbs at the moment. But as you've just heard from Vicky, this place is more than a market. You know, you have got kind of lots of small business owners here who are, have these amazing kind of outlets here but actually this is a place of safety a place of sanctuary for a lot of people it's where they bring their kids when they're not in school times it's that community hub and it desperately needs somebody to listen to everybody who's here to actually hear what they're saying and invest in this in a very sympathetic way that brings the community with them and to me, this is just a microcosm of what we're seeing across, you know, it's the same kind of thing we're seeing across London. You can even link this to, you know, issues like Grenfell, where you have residents who are trying to raise concerns about what's happening to them, about the conditions they are living in, and nobody's listening to them. And we're seeing this across London, and it has to, has to change. You should describe it a little bit. It's sort of quite a large space, but subdivided into lots of little... Yeah 
shops, there's like in the restaurants and, and, and cafes, counters, hairdressers and nail salons. And it's mostly, mostly Latin American with a couple of things like Caribbean food store and so on from elsewhere in the world. You, know, you had a Jewish lady in there waiting to get her nails done. And this is yeah. why the UN have identified this place as kind of uniquely multicultural in London. And it's just so authentic and organic. And this has just grown up organically. You know. It is slightly falling to bits, yeah. though. Like, there's, there's wires hanging everywhere. There's unpainted surfaces. It just clearly hasn't had investment in a very long time. And there's a space upstairs that, that we've been told has been left unoccupied for, let's say, 40 years, was that? 40 years. And this is a TFL. So you're absolutely right. I think what we're seeing is deliberate neglect because it then ties into the argument, you know, the narrative, I think, that developers would like to put forward that, oh, my God, look at the state of this. It obviously needs to be kind of flattened and rebuilt. But in terms of the space upstairs, one of the policies that I'm putting forward is we shouldn't have publicly owned buildings that are left empty in London. That's just unacceptable when we have both so many people looking for places to live in, but we also have things like our youth centres shutting down all over and community centres for elderly people. Every single unused space in London should be opened up and given back to the public. And it's not just here. Everywhere I go, I find there are spaces in London and we absolutely need to look at these unused spaces and get them back open, give them to the communities. Well, let's talk about policy and what you would do if, if you were to win this election. What, what are the kind of things you will want to do with the job? So I've said on, the, on day one, the thing that I would look at, I think the biggest issue going into this election is going to be knife crime. That's already clear that that's not going to go away between now and May. On day one, I want to send a signal to every young person in London that I'm on their side, that I understand the issues that they're going, to, going through, and that I'm going to fix this. And I've issued a five-point plan, which involves absolutely what we just talked about, making sure that spaces are given back to communities so that we can have... Every single child should have somewhere to go in that vulnerable period after school between 4 and 6 p.m. when a lot of them actually get preyed on by criminal activity in London. So I've issued this thing called the happy hour, the youth happy hour across London, where you have churches opening their spaces, community centres opening their spaces, schools staying open for young people. That's one part of the plan. We need to have a young mayor in London so that young people can make sure that their voices get heard right at the heart of City Hall. I want every single police station reopened in communities or if, this, if the actual old police stations are too expensive to run, open them alongside post offices or libraries. You know, let's actually get police back in the heart of our communities. And I want to legalise cannabis. OK, cool. Absolutely want to leak. I've been, I've been shouting about this for months. There is such a clear link between the illegal drugs market in London and, you know, our young people getting pulled into criminal activity, either as a victim or a perpetrator of crime. It's not a controversial thing to do. There are so many countries that have done this. My question to Sadiq and others is why the hell haven't we done this already? Our young people are dying. There is a clear link between criminal activity. I'm offering government, if I was the Mayor of London, let's pilot cannabis legalisation in London. It's about time that we do this. So that's just around kind of my package on knife crime. I also want a zero exclusions policy for London, so no child should be permanently excluded from mainstream school in London. Is that something the mayor is empowered to get involved with, though? That's, that's councils or academy trusts, isn't it? I don't buy this argument that the mayor can't use their soft power. You have the biggest platform in London, you know, in the country, bar the prime minister, really. The one thing Sadiq has failed to do is show leadership on a lot of these issues. It's too easy to blame central government, say, I don't have the lever 
Rivers, you're the mayor of London, for God's sake. Get people around the table, get them talking to each other and actually affect change through that softer kind of leadership role. We absolutely could be doing more on this. So that's on kind of knife crime and policing. I have a whole package of stuff that I've already put out. But also I think one of the big issues coming to me is just the inequality in London. And I think there's more that mayors could be doing, that the mayor could be doing. So I'm looking as well at can we actually do something around fares on transport in London to make it cheaper for people on lower incomes, to give them a bit of help because I love London. I wouldn't live anywhere else. It's the best city in the world. But for all the things I love about London, I know that for a lot of people, they can't access those things. And London's a much harder place and a much darker place for them to live in. And I want to do something about that. You know, I've also been talking to people around why certain communities are left behind, why often there's so much that affects minority groups in London, that affects women in London disproportionately. So I want to do a whole kind of inequalities audit of London and where are the barriers? Why is it that we're seeing all of this stuff going on in London that leads to these inequalities in London and can we tackle that in a different way? And of course there's housing. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Housing is obviously a huge issue and it is one of the areas that the mayoralty has some power over through planning policies. What would you do to kind of make sure that we are building the houses we need to in this town? So I'm still developing. I don't want to say my policies are completely formed at the moment because they're not. So we're still developing our manifesto. And I think housing is the thing that's the most difficult because while the mayor has certain powers over planning and building regulations, you don't have all the powers that you would want to actually get the houses built, as you've said before, and other issues. Councils then, you have to work with councils. But actually, the one thing that's clear to me is we have failed to deliver the homes that are affordable and I don't mean the definition of affordable housing that we have now that's not affordable for most people in London I mean genuinely building homes that people can afford to live in where they want to live in them because we have looked to the private sector to fix that problem the private sector are brilliant at building certain types of homes but they've not been very good at building affordable homes so I actually think City Hall needs to take much more responsibility for this itself Um, And that's what I'm looking at at the moment. So I will be coming out with policies in that area. But it is much more about saying, can we use the land that TfL owns? Can we use the land that City Hall owns? And actually, can we ourselves build some of those truly affordable homes that we needed London. Obviously the last of the big area that the mayor has, has significant powers over is transport. Yeah. You've kind of touched on fares, but is there anything else in the transport area you would be wanting to do? Well, I mean, today we've just heard that there is this now a confirmed additional delay, additional cost to Crossrail, which is absolutely unbelievable I think that we've now learned that Crossrail is not going to be open at least not next year not in 2020 only partially in 2021 probably and it's going to cost now over 18 billion pounds you know that's going to have a massive impact unfortunately on TfL's finances and what any future mayor coming in is able to do the one thing I would say what people are telling me everywhere I go is let's get the basics sorted So absolutely, I will be putting forward some new ideas for big visions across London. But we already have Crossrail 2 in the pipeline, for example, which I would like to see developed. But actually, do you know what? I would also like to make sure that our tubes are clean. We just had a report on the toxic air in our tubes and how dangerous that is, that they are 
not as noisy as they are at the moment because that's damaging to people, that they aren't as overcrowded as they are, that all the signalling issues are fixed, that we look at the sexual abuse, for example, that women get on our tubes. So I think there's a whole package of stuff around the tubes that I want to look at, which is just sorting the basics. And I also want to look again at our bus network. And again, can we actually make that even more affordable for people? So I would like to see much more many more discounts on our bus system and actually if I can be doing free buses for people I don't think people on the night bus should have to pay for example if you don't have your your Oyster card or your touch in I just think for safety reasons and for young people let's make the night buses free so I think there are all sorts of things that we can do but like any other candidate I think the overarching principle is going to be in terms of transport and the environment let's try and get more and more people out of their private car use and onto public transport. But to do that has to be reliable and affordable. That's a no-brainer. We're speaking on Friday, November 8th. Is it the 8th? It's the 8th, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we will, let's, let's just agree on that yeah, and hope no one checks the calendar. Yeah. And this week a poll came out which put you in fourth place yeah. behind uh, Sadiq Khan, Sean Bailey, Roy yeah. Stewart. You've overtaken Sean Barry from yeah. the Greens. Yeah. So as you know, someone campaigning on a strongly Remain platform... Yeah. Are you annoyed that Rory Stewart has entered the race as an independent and is getting votes from people who think he's a Remainer when, let's be honest, he isn't? Am I? Of course I'm a bit annoyed. You know, I would be, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a bit annoyed. But do you know what I'm more annoyed about, I think, is here you have somebody who, up until a couple of months ago, was such a Tory that he was running for the leadership of that party. And now he's saying he's not a Tory at all. He's an independent. That just is not credible to go from that one state of affairs to the other state of affairs. He's a Cumbrian MP. He has no roots in London. And as somebody who ran as an independent before and struggled to get coverage as an independent because I was told independents you know don't have a record and blah 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 of course I'm a bit annoyed that he's getting all of the coverage but you know what I just have to put a positive case forward for why I will be running the campaign that reflects Londoners values more than anybody else in this race so what you're seeing at the moment is a lot of puff pieces that Rory is getting because of who he is and because his name recognition but very soon people in London will realize that he doesn't reflect their values and that he is a Brexiteer at heart that he is a conservative at heart and that isn't the London that I know and love what's your path to kind of well let's say victory let's be optimistic like because that poll, it's not bad for you, but you're still in fourth place, and I think your vote share was slightly under 10%. Yeah. And, uh, there's, there's quite a long way to go. I mean, what, what does a successful campaign for you look like from here? Yeah. I think the, the challenge for me is about getting my name recognition out. So in the past, Liberal Democrats have always been squeezed between a big Conservative and a big Labour figure in this election that isn't going to be the case this time because the conservatives don't have a big i'm struggling to talk now because they've got some brilliant music that i just want to get up and dance to so actually for us as i say i think watch this space because we've done this analysis we know that in the general election we are going to do really well in the general election that's going to give me the best foundation that the liberal democrats have ever had in the mayoral election going into the mayoral election and actually If it ends up between a race between myself and Sadiq Khan, so the two Remainers in this contest, and I think that is where it will end up, then that's going to become interesting because I think people also want a little bit of personality, a little bit of humour, somebody who can get things done. And what I'm saying to Labour-leaning people in London is... If you like Sadiq's values, you'll love mine. We share values a lot. We're both in that kind of remain, moderate, kind of centre ground. But I 
with my civil service background, I will actually deliver on things. We shouldn't still have the levels of homelessness we have in London. We shouldn't have this massive delay in Crossrail. You know, all of these things that Sadiq has failed to do when he's been, during his mayoralty, I will make sure those things are fixed. Getting the basics sorted in London, I can deliver on those. Well, I think we should take a cue from the music and accept that this interview should probably come to a close here. We can go and do some uh, Latin dancing. Excellent, let's do that. Chivon Manita, thank you very much. Brilliant, thanks very much. Cheers. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Anage, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast, or whatever other app you use to get your, your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to, to tell other people we're here? It, you know, it really helps people discover the show, and I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.